Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. A kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin into their lives. Now, I just first must take the context here and help us to understand, because anytime you want to interpret Scripture, you need to understand it in its original context. Don't just take it out of the Bible and apply it to your life without understanding what the true meaning it was in it in its context. So before you say to yourself, all women are kind and all men are ruthless, uh, that's not what this scripture is saying, just so you understand. It, it's not even representing the fact that men are more ruthless than women or women are more kind than men. This is not about gender at all. This is just an, an opportunity to draw a contrast between one kind of an attitude and another kind of an attitude. The attitude of ruthlessness is what we see a lot in our culture today. And it simply means this. It means having or showing no pity or compassion on others. It, it just basically means not caring. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible talks about in the end times that men would be without care. That they would be hard-hearted and cold-hearted and compassion would be rare. But then you look at the other attitude that the, that, the, that the wise Solomon was teaching us, and that attitude was kindness. And he was telling us the results of kindness and the consequences of ruthlessness. And kindness simply means this. It's the quality of being friendly, being generous, or being considerate. And sometimes in our culture today, because we live in a Western world who our worldview causes us to think of things in a certain perspective, we sometimes interpret kindness to mean weakness and ruthlessness to mean strength. But true kindness, the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate is not passive and it is not weak, but it is the very evidence of courage and strength in your life. It doesn't mean run from problems. It just means respond to problems differently than other people do. What we're talking about today is literally one of the best examples of how the kingdom of God can be a witness to people who are outside the kingdom of God and transform their lives. Ephesians chapter 40, uh, excuse me, 4, verse 31 through 32, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of rage, get rid of anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ God forgave you. Now, I want us to just draw our attention for just a moment and understand who's Paul talking to. You, this sounds like Paul would be talking to sinners, Right? This sounds like Paul would be talking to people outside the kingdom of God, outside the church, people who don't really have a relationship with God or don't understand God because that's how they act, right? That's not who Paul was talking about. Paul was talking to the church. He was talking to you and me. He was talking to Christians. He was talking to people who follow Christ. He's saying to us, we cannot afford, if we are to become everything God wants us to become, we cannot afford to let bitterness in our life we cannot afford to let 
anger in our lives, not anger that is righteous, but anger that becomes sin. We cannot afford to let rage rule in our lives. We cannot afford brawling and slander along with every form of malice. We can't afford it. So how do we deal with it? We deal with it by being kind and being compassionate to one another. Turn to your neighbor, look them right in the face and say, I care about you. So it's like three people care about people in this church. That's what it sounded like. Turn at least to someone you brought with you or you came with. Turn to them and say, I care about you. No, don't care. Okay. So some of y'all, some of y'all just aren't going to, you just don't understand what the scripture says when it says, obey the prophet, receive a reward. Hmm. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ, God forgave you. So in this passage of scripture, here's what we find. We find that Jesus teaches us, or Paul teaches us, about how Jesus wants us to operate and function. And what that is, is he wants us to be literally, continually, even, even pre-offense forgiving. We need to walk around in an attitude and a spirit of forgiveness continually. This is what Jesus was saying to Peter when Peter was trying to be so spiritual and say, Jesus, should we forgive seven times? Because the rule basically at that time was forgive somebody three times. And I don't know what happened after that, but three times was the, the limit. And Jesus said, Peter was trying to sound, you know, very spiritual. And he said, Jesus, should we forgive people seven times in a day? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. So what is he saying when he says 70 times 7? Jesus is actually just saying, forgive in advance. Well, how can I forgive someone who hasn't offended me yet? You do it by walking in the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of forgiveness to be the, the way you live your life. You know what I found? If you have this attitude of, I'm going to forgive people if they hurt me, then you're less apt to get offended when people do silly things. Because you've already made up your mind, I'm not going to let offense destroy me. I'm not going to let being offended control my life. I'm not going to let uh, people's actions and attitudes towards me cause me to react in a way that is out of sorts with who I should be. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Now, in our world, we're taught, get back. Right? I even have this, like... I, I found myself the other day, I was watching a show. How many ever watch a movie or you watch some kind of uh, uh, streaming thing or what show? And, and I found myself watching a show where someone did something to someone in the show. And I was thinking to myself, man, if they did that to me, I'd tell you what I'd do. <laughs> How many of you ever? And I know it's just a show and we're just, it's just imagination. But the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit checked me and said, you're kind of vengeful. Because I am. I have to be careful as a human being not to want to get back at people who hurt me or harm me. How many of you have ever, your first response to someone who's done something hard to you or difficult to you or mean to you, your first response was, I'm going to figure out how to set this straight. And not set this straight by forgiveness or letting it go or walking it through or confronting. I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. You embarrass me in front of people, I'm going to embarrass you back. I guess I'm the only heathen in this place. But I want you to understand who taught us this. Jesus. And I want you to take, let your imagination, just for one moment, 
go with me. And I want you to think about the man who taught us this, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity. Well, that's why he can do this because he's God, but he was fully man just as he was fully God. So he experienced all the points of temptation just like we do, yet he did not sin. So Jesus experienced the pain, he experienced the hurt, and when he, when he dealt with people who hurt him, he responded with love. Now, his love wasn't passive. His love wasn't just being run over by everybody. His love was standing in the moment and responding with love, having the courage to stand up and be the truth in the midst of a deceitful situation, but not respond with anger and hatefulness and frustration and meanness. And you say, well, I know Jesus said that, but come on, we, are we really expected to turn the other cheek? Are we really expected to not get back at someone who's hurt us or attacked us? Are we really expected to sit and take it? The thing I love about Jesus is he never tells you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Can you take your imagination and just think on when Jesus was being tried Jesus was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The Bible describes him as the Son of God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was and is and is to come. He was at the beginning in creation. He was creating all things as the Word with the Father. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God. Or In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him that were made, and him, him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus is all powerful. He is the first, the last, and everything in between. That's who Jesus is. So when they stood trying him, when they blindfolded him, when they said, let him tell us who struck him, he could have. When they said, if you're the son of God, tell us who struck you, he could have, but didn't. They reached up into his face and ripped the beard out of his face. They spat on him. The king of glory, not some little potentate county official, not some little person of the region, not some national leader. This is the king of kings. This is the cosmic king, the king of all things, the creator of all things, stood there being humiliated, being uh, uh, absolutely defied, being rejected, being mocked. And he just stood there. So much so that they even asked him, aren't you going to say something? Don't you know we have the power? And when they said, Pilate said, don't you know we have the power to take life or death? He said, only one has the power. My father. That's the only time he spoke. You didn't have any power over me. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying this horrible prayer of, Father, this is so difficult, but, but not, not my will, your will be done. And then when he came out of that prayer at Gethsemane that he submitted and surrendered his will to the will of his Father, he walked out and there they were to arrest him. And he said to them, whom do you seek? 
and they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said three words, I am he. And when he said I am, it was a, ref a reference to the fact that he is El Elyon, the I am that I am. He is God Jehovah. And when he said, I am he, the Bible says, go read it in the Gospel of John. Everyone who was there to arrest him fell backwards and onto the ground. Did you know that? Did you remember that? Why did that happen? And why did Jesus display that? He was showing all of mankind, I could walk away from this right now. I could call legions of angels and I could destroy the earth and say, this people are not worth it. But I choose to be meek and meek is not weak. They slapped him. They took him to the cross. You know the story. They crucified him. And he said seven things, seven phrases when he was on that cross. And the last thing that he said, as he looked down at people who had just a week before been saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're now saying, crucify him, crucify him. He said, as he prayed to his father, looking into the faces of the culprits who were killing him. And let me just tell you, he wasn't just looking into their faces. He was looking into the future, into our faces. Because we were the ones that put him on that cross. Our sin is what put him on that cross. Our guilt is what put him on that cross. Our shame is what put him on that cross. And he looked into the future and he said, God, send fire from heaven and destroy this wicked place. <laughs> no. That's what the disciples were saying earlier when Jesus walked around trying to do ministry. And he said, there are people over there trying to do ministry like us. Let's call fire down out of heaven. Jesus said, what is wrong with you? He said to the how long must I be with you? That's why it's his way of saying, you're an idiot. And he come to burn people up. God is so kind. And we forget how kind he is because we forget how holy he is. We forget how precious and loving he is because we forget who he is. That compared to him in his holiness and his righteousness, we are wicked and evil and we deserve judgment. But he's not judging us and condemning us without giving us an opportunity to receive his love and his grace to be forgiven and to be set free. That is kind. It's loving. It is not mean and hateful. The fact that he even cares about us. David wrote it in Psalms. Why are you even mindful of mankind? So when we read scriptures like turn the other cheek, when we read scriptures like be kind, when we read scriptures like don't return evil for evil, look at Jesus as the backdrop and know that he's not kidding. It's not a good suggestion. This is the way Christians live that cause people in the world who do not know Christ to say what is different about them. Why am I walking in this darkness when they have so much light? Why are they not mad and angry and trying to fight back and mean-spirited and hateful? What's wrong with them? You say, well, we live in a world today that just says if you disagree with somebody, you're hateful. 
and you don't love them. That's true. There's nothing we can do about that, though. And being hateful and disagreeable does not going to fix it. Showing them that that's not true by being kind and loving is what fixes it. Are you with me? Stop yelling. Stop yelling at people. You're like, I don't yell at people. In your heart, you do. I've been off of social media for since the beginning of summer. I just decided I'm sick of it. I'm getting off. I got off. You know what? I'm not stirred up. I'm not mad every stinking day. I, you know what I don't know? I don't know about some people's life that I really don't know that everything is gone, this and that and this and that. And oh my God, what? we got to do something about it. I, I don't even feel that. Why? Because I'm not paying attention. I don't care what's happening in Hollywood. I don't care. I love Hollywood, and I pray that God saves everybody in Hollywood. And I know and I have pastor friends in Hollywood and churches there, and I'm praying God give them. But, but you know what? I'm not filling my life up with what they're about and what they're going through and what they're doing and giving them my money by watching them because I don't have enough life of my own that I need to watch their life. I had a friend call me one time, and he said, man, I've been watching you on Facebook, and you're going to Africa, you're going to Asia. I just love watching your life. I'm just so excited about your life. I'm so proud of your life. And I'm like, dude, stop watching my life and go do it yourself. Are y'all hearing me today? We get so stirred up. We, get so, we have such retribution in our heart. We constantly, naturally, because we live in this Western world, we return evil for evil. God said, return good for evil. I remember one time. Quickly, I'll tell you that I started pastoring a church. I was 22. I was very young, too young. But the denomination back then, they just really loved to say, hey, we got a young, zealous pastor. We got a horrible church. Let's put them together and see what happens. <laughs> and so they threw me into the deep end, and that church was messed up, man. The leaders of that church were living in the depths of sin. It was so bad. And and we got there, so there was an immediate struggle because God had given me some vision about where we were going, and they didn't want to do that because they were in there, you know, they were in there, you know, living in the way they were living, and they just didn't want that to be bothered. And so immediately, three months in, they were like, we got to get rid of this guy. And I was saying, I got to get rid of these people. It wasn't good. I was mad. I was angry. It got so bad that they went to every member of the church in their home, sat down and said, we have made a mistake. We need to send this guy packing. He's not the guy for us. We should have. Here I am with a family, I mean, a, a new wife, and we don't have a, a child yet, but they're just there. I mean, it was mean. It was hateful. The things that were said about me were lies. I mean, made up stories out of whole cloth. I was so angry. I was ready for a fight. See, this may be one of the reasons that people get irritated with the church. Because they see a, a disconnect and a disparity between a heart that's supposed to be filled with love and kindness and community and lack of bitterness. And they look in the church sometimes. Instead, they see people who are holding on to bitterness and unforgiving and are mad, can't even get along with each other. Did you know what Jesus said that men will know you're my disciples? Do you know why he said, you know what the indication of discipleship was in the New Testament? It wasn't you can do miracles, that's how men will know you're my disciple. It wasn't if you're a great communicator, that's how men will know you're my disciple. Jesus said very clearly, the way people will look on you and say, that's a person who follows Christ, is because they love each other. 
And so many times in the church, and thank God we don't have that problem here, but so many times in the church we see Christians who have bought into a Western mindset instead of a biblical mindset. We see people who have bought into a worldly way of thinking instead of a holiness way of thinking or a biblical way of thinking. And what happens is we start showing the fruit of what we believe. We start showing the fruit of how we're thinking. And we look more like the world than we do like the church of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, people go, hold on a minute. But when it doesn't happen and they see love and they see kindness and they see grace and they see forgiveness, they're like, man, that is not in my world. I want that. I want that in my life. Because it's the nature of Christ. So I decided I've got to do something. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I started praying. It's always a good thing to do when you don't know what you're going to do. Pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got to pray. Pull a little MC hammer on them and say, you got to pray just to make it today. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, a hammer? What's a hammer? It's a guy, okay? And he was when I was young, so... There. How many know who MC Hammer is? Just raise your hand. I got to know. Oh, you do know, so I just wasn't being funny. Is that it? You just don't laugh? So anyway, I just started praying, God, what do you want me to do? And God gave me this idea. He said, I want you to send them an invitation to their home, a formal invitation. I want you to invite them to come to your house, and I want you to take communion. And here's what I want the note to say. Just This is what the Lord impressed in my heart. Just invite them. Say, I want to take communion together as a, t- as a leader team, and I just want you to come into the house. Don't even knock. Just walk straight into the house. Find a seat in the living room, and we're going to take communion together. I, let's not even talk. I just feel like God's saying this is a holy moment. Let's just come in, be silent, and we'll receive communion together. And, and we'll do it. So I got the uh, uh, invitations together. I sent the invitations out. Uh, and, and I uh, got all ready for communion. And I put communion together in my house. And I invited these people to come over. And when it was just about time for them to be there, about 30 minutes before, I sat down, opened my Bible up to get ready to just kind of prepare my heart for giving, re- giving them rec- communion and, uh, you know, uh, giving the sacraments to them and worshiping God together. And, and when I did it, when I, when I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit prompted my heart and he said, I want you to read the whole story. And I said, okay. And so I read in the book of John when Jesus had the Last Supper. And he said, now read what Jesus did. And y'all know what he did. He took a towel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Took a towel, put it over his shoulder, got a basin of water, and went to each disciple and washed their feet. And God said, that is what you're going to do when they get here. And I said, that is not what I'm going to do when they get here. And for about 10 minutes, me and God had a little bit of a discussion about if I was going to obey him or not. And when they got there, everybody just came in. They did exactly what I asked them to do. They sat down. They were totally quiet. They sat down and they, I said, we're going to take communion. But before we do that, I need to obey God. Now, you have to understand, I was 22. I was angry. My wife had to hear the things that these people were saying about me. These people went 
to people's homes and talked and told lies about me. Everything in me wanted to just say, I'm going to get him in one room, and then we're just going to have a brawl. That's how I felt in my heart. This isn't right. How can people treat me this way? I've done nothing to them but try to serve God. I've done nothing but try to lead this church. That's what was stirring up, and it's not fair that they would treat me like this. I'm a brand-new pastor. I didn't even know this kind of thing, and my, I'd seen my dad go through this, and I was just like, I'm not going to live my life having to deal with people who do this. And God said, wash their feet. And what I didn't realize, y'all, it wasn't for them at all. It wasn't. It affected them. It had a good result on them. But it wasn't for them. It was for me. Because God knew that if I held on to that hatred and that anger and that frustration and that bitterness that really wasn't something that was happening just then. It was something that was piling up in me over years as a child. And he knew that if I could release that, it would change the trajectory of my life. And it would help me move in the direction that he wanted me to do. So I, so I pulled the, you should have seen the looks on their faces when I pulled that water basin out. They're like, what's happening? I said, take your socks and shoes off. And it was just like when Peter did. There was one guy, and he was really the only guy that was for us. He was like, you are not, this is not right. You are not washing my feet. I said, I'm washing your feet. Just take your shoes off. I was, I was kind of mad still. So I just started washing their feet. It, it was the most humiliating experience of my life. Not because, I mean, I've been, you know, back in the day when we were in Pentecostal Holiness Church, we, they had feet washings, and so it was just something you did. And it was humbling in that, but when you're having to wash the feet of someone who hates you, you're having to wash the feet of someone who has done evil to you, listen, that's humiliating. And as I begin to wash their feet, the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. And he began to help me pray. And I begin to pray for them. It's been 30 years ago and I still get emotional about it. I begin to pray for their family. I begin to pray for their kids. I begin to pray for their businesses. I begin to pray for their lives. I begin to pray for their redemption. I begin to pray for a break of this evil that was in their life. I begin to pray for change. I begin to pray for compassion. And as I begin to pray, they just begin to weep. And we were all just praying and weeping and crying. And the person that was helped the most when that was over was not them. It was me. And I still had to deal with the trouble that had been caused. They moved out of the way. The church was able to move forward. We had success. But the truth is, I still had to deal with it. It was still there. It didn't change anything, really, except for the fact that now I'm going to have to lead these people from believing a lie back to me so that we can go forward in ministry and do what God's called us to do. And, and so, so God knew that if he could cause me to forgive and let that bitterness go, then we could continue to move forward. And it really didn't have any anything to do with them as much as it did receiving the ministry that I gave to them. 
Why does God want us to do things like this? Why does this God, God want this to be our heart? It's not just so that other people who are evil or do evil or do hard are going to be forgiven by us. It's so that bitterness will not take root in our hearts and destroy us. It's like a cancer that will eat you up. It will eat your emotions up. It will eat your mental faculties up. It will eat your relationships up. It will destroy your life. You will hate people you shouldn't even hate and have no reason to hate simply because you're bitter. Because you refuse to let it go. You say, well, you don't know what I've gone through. Jesus does. I feel certain that is long as you haven't hung on a cross for the sins of the entire world, he's got you beat in pain. He knows how you feel. He knows betrayal. He knows hurt. He knows pain. And he understands you. And he's giving you an indication. This is how you get over you let it go. Well, I don't want to let it go. <laughs> you laugh because all of us feel that way. No, I want to be mad. I remember one of my kids one time, they were something happened. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, you've got to forgive. You've got to let it go. And like, I don't want to yet. Just leave me alone. I want to be mad for a while. No, that, wasn't, that was you, Janae. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't the kid. I was trying to say, that was Janae. And it was probably pointed at me, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you're an idiot. I'm not letting it go yet. No. But we all feel that way at times. No, they deserve for me to not let this go. Can I just tell you, they're probably not even thinking about you. I know people that have been mad for years, and the person they're mad at don't even remember them. Have you ever been mad at somebody and gotten estranged to somebody and then you, and then you realize you forget over time what, you're even, what, what, what was that about? Right? Kindness has its benefits and ruthlessness has its consequences. And the Apostle Paul taught us in the New Testament and what he was teaching us sounds exactly like what Jesus taught us. It's an elaboration on the golden rule. Do to others as you want them to do to you. This does not say do to others as they do to you. It says do to others as you want them to do to you. It also doesn't say don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It says do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, intentionally respond to others as you want them to respond to you. His statement's in the affirmative. It's an action. Treat people like you want to be treated. It's an, offensive, it's, 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 an, it's an offensive, offensive posture, not a defensive posture. There's a way we all would like to be treated. And so if that's the case, and it is, then we should rush out to do it first. You know, when Jesus said, when you're at the temple making sacrifice or giving your offering, and you know someone has something against you, run and make it right. He didn't say, listen, he didn't say, if you're at the temple giving your offering and then you have something against someone, go make it right. He said, if they have something against you, go make it right. 
In other words, he's saying, even if it's not your fault, make it right. So that your heart can be pure and you can receive from God and you're not holding on to unforgiveness. Paul makes it practical and specific. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ Christ God forgave you. So he tells us what to do, but he doesn't stop there. He tells us how to do it. So here are two thoughts about that. Number one, Christ is the standard. In other words, we are to forgive and to let go and to give grace like Jesus has done to us. It's so interesting how we can be judgmental to others, and the reason we are is because we forget how much God has forgiven us of. Oh, are you with me? So he's saying Christ is the standard. In other words, you need to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving in the same measure that Jesus was. And then the second thing he says, Christ is the power. In other words, the kind, this kind of this level of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness flows from a relationship with Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You are not going to be this kind. You are not going to be this loving. You are not going to be this forgiving without the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot become out of your flesh because you don't have it in you. But when God ignites your spirit with his spirit, all of a sudden things begin to change. Galatians 5, verse 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such there's no law those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying one another he's saying don't let pride have your ego don't let life give you circumstances that keep you bitter don't let anything affect you in a way that you will act like the world just let the fruit of the spirit by the power of the spirit come rushing through your life so that God can use your life to be the light that shines. Ruthless living gets ruthless results. I love this, this principle of reciprocity. Do you know what I'm saying? What, rest of what? You reap what you sow. It's a natural law that God created that you see in nature everywhere. But it, it happens spiritually too. And let me just tell you, reciprocity is a truth that you cannot run from. It's a natural law. We'll reap what we sow. I love the way the proverb puts it. Ruthless men gain only wealth. In other words, all they get is money, but then they have to live with themselves. There's a big difference between being prosperous and being wealthy. When you're ruthless, you may get wealth, but that's all you get. You don't get the great relationships You lose those. You don't get contentment because your ruthless heart is never satisfied. You don't get to use the bridges of life networking with other people because you've burned all those down with your ruthlessness. You have plenty, but you feel empty because while you have the trappings of success, that's all you have. You don't have the meaning in life that could go with it. Had you not been ruthless but instead have been kind, compassionate, and forgiving, you would have found contentment. You see, it's important to choose kindness and to reject ruthlessness. 
We want to shine the light of Christ into this ruthless world so that we can make an enormous difference. Romans 2 tells us that it's the kindness of God that brings men to repentance. We want people to repent. We want people to turn from their sins and turn to a holy God. But it's God's kindness and his love and his grace that brings them there. Not mean-spirited people or theologies that force them to believe that they are the most horrible people. They know where they stand. What we have to do is declare the word of God and be kind with the power and gospel of Jesus and it turns a light on for them to say I need what God has to offer my life so quickly I'm going to give you three steps of golden rule living one intentionally do good to everyone no matter what everybody read that with me it's on the screen read it together with me everyone say it with emphasis intentionally do good to everyone no matter what let's say it again intentionally do good to everyone no matter what. I know some of you probably said when we got to everyone, you were like, some. (laughs) No, because that's me. That's my thinking. I'll do that to some people. But that's the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point Jesus is trying to get across. Let's listen to how intense Jesus is about this. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. He's talking to Jewish people who are living under Roman oppression. And Romans could come and do basically anything they wanted to them, and they had to follow the rules. And Jesus was saying, just do it. Be kind. Don't fight. Don't be angry. Don't be unforgiving. Turn the other cheek. Well, I've heard it said since I was a child, because we live in America, and you ain't going to let nobody run over you. You know what I'm saying? So if someone strikes me on one side of the cheek, that's all right. I'll turn the other cheek. But then when they strike the other side, it's on, baby, because that's it. (laughs) You ain't bad. You're just immature. And you're identifying and defining retribution as strength when it's Nothing but weakness. <laughs> Everybody's like, no. Yeah. I'm telling you, when you start growing in Christ, you love beyond the pain. Do it to others as you would have them do it to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Everybody loves those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is the kind uh, to the ungrateful and the wicked. Some translations say he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And the second thing is this. Release generosity through your life. Everybody say generous. Generous. It's one of the most powerful forces and powerful witnesses you can have as a Christian. Release generosity through your life no matter what. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of the very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. There were people in Jerusalem that needed food and they were hungry and Christians and the churches were taking up money to send to them. And here was this church that was in a very severe situation. And it says that their, their passion for God and their poverty came. In other words, they're saying, we realize we don't have much, but what we have, we're going to give because we want them to be blessed. This is generosity that goes beyond. You remember the generous widow in 1 Kings 17, 9, where uh, uh, God told Elijah, go at once to Zarephath, the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Do you hear the context of that scripture? I have directed a widow to supply you with food. Elijah shows up. He says, hey, I need some food. Give me some food. She said, sir, I don't have any food to give you. She said, God, he said, God has told me that he's going to provide me a meal through you. So give me some food. She said, sir, I'm serious. I have a little bit of oil. I have a little bit of flour. I'm going to make a cake for me and my son. And then we're just going to die because that's all we got. And we have nothing and no hopes for anything else. He said, ma'am, now listen, can you imagine me doing this to somebody? I know you ain't got nothing. But give me what you got. It would be on front page news, wouldn't it? It'd be like, pastor is scandalous and asking poor people for money. It's, you, you see what I'm saying? But they didn't understand. People don't understand sometimes that God was about to provide for her through her generosity. And she just said, okay. And she went in and made a cake for him. And when she made a cake for him, her oil barrels filled up, her flour barrels filled up supernaturally, and for the rest of the famine, there was oil in her house and food in her house. See, generosity is this thing that says, no matter what people do, no matter how people are, I'm going to be an open person. I'm going to be a person who loves and cares, and I do whatever I can to help someone else. Number three, the power of kindness comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, and we close with this. Golden rule is powered by God's rule in our lives. Everybody look at me for a minute because I need to say something to you as your pastor. In our culture today, and I'm not talking about the world's culture, I'm talking about in Christian culture today, we have a very firm understanding of Jesus being our Savior. And we want him to be our savior because we want him to forgive our sins and we want to go to heaven. But we're failing in another aspect of our Christian experience and that is that Jesus is not just our savior, but he's our Lord. That means he's in charge. And so many Christian believers today are struggling with this idea of surrender yeah, I want to give God a little bit, but I don't want to give God everything. I want to do what I want to do. Not understanding like the woman, the widow at Zarephath. If you'll just do what God says, God will push so much through your life, you won't know what to do with the blessings. 
I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about surrender to the will and purpose of God. God is God. He is the one loving, beautiful, wonderful Father that has been benevolent to us and cares about us. Listen to me. He is not just your Savior to forgive your sins and give you some fire insurance to keep you out of hell. He wants to take your life on a journey that will bring about your destiny, that will fulfill the purpose of His kingdom. It's not just about you and your petty little desires on this earth. It's not just about me and my weird little, you know, stupid things that I would like to see. No, it's about God's will and purpose for our lives. And we got to get to the point where we understand that the power of kindness comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And the golden rule will be powered in our lives if we understand that a purposeful surrender to Him and an intentional rejection of the world's philosophies, ideologies, and ways is the only way that we're going to really accomplish this light that shines before men. When they look at our works, they see God. It's not by our ability. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit and His ability through us. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today, church? What does God want for you? What does God want for your family? What does God want for our church? Are you even listening to what he wants for you? Because if you want this kind of life coming out and through you, it's not going to be something you do because you try really hard. It's going to be something you do because you're surrendered in relationship to Jesus and his character comes through you. That's how it happens. The proverb is... One of the greatest witnesses of Christ to our world. If we can live according to the golden rule by intentionally doing good to others. If we can release generosity regardless of our circumstances. And if we can tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to release the kindness of God into the world. It will not only bring blessings into our lives. But it will have a major impact on everyone around us. Are you with me church? Being kind. Is not being weak. Being forgiving is not being weak. Being compassionate is not being weak. It's literally the definition and epitome of spiritual strength and maturity. Don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. Do good, and God will show up. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you to take it. And I know it's a hard word, this wisdom of forgiveness, this wisdom of compassion, this wisdom of, of not allowing bitterness to overtake us. God, it's not easy. That's not easy for us to hear, and it's not easy for us to do. So we ask you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will empower us to do your will. And we call you today unequivocally, God. We call you not just Savior. We call you Lord, and we surrender our desires, our hearts, our emotions, our feelings, our everything to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.